All right. I do something wrong. Like that. Check test one, two. All right. Y'all don't want to hear me breathing, so check test. All right. We'll see if that works. And if I need to do anything, just scream at me, Heather. Well, good morning once again. So good to see you guys. Good to be here with you this morning. Appreciate y'all coming. Got my brother Robert sitting right there on the front row. Man, I love it. So, I thought it was really cool that <clears throat> Mr. Hat told that story. One of the things that made it really cool was that I just got through talking with Delphine and Miss Sharon. Sharon, I don't know why I have so much trouble with your name, but they were just telling me what a blessing it was to them that yesterday they went out into the community, just drove around looking for people, and fed 75 people yesterday. They're looking for, like, homeless, yeah. <clears throat> And they, they got to work with about a dozen or so kids. They fed the kids. They got the kids to come help them get the meals ready and all. So they got to spend time with these kids sharing the love of Christ and showing them what it looks like to share the love of Christ with the world around them. And then they went out into the world and just looked for people that needed help and gave out food. That's what the Scripture tells us to do, Right? The first greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said that one time, and somebody asked him, well, hey, who's my neighbor? And that's when he told the story about the Good Samaritan. Y'all remember the guy, you know, that's going on the road, and he gets jumped by these robbers. They beat him up, take all this stuff, and they leave him there. Well, this guy, apparently from the story, he was a Jew, and other people that were apparently Jews were just walking by, leaving him there. But a Samaritan, they were enemies. They did not, the Jews and Samaritans did not like one another. But the Samaritan comes along, sees a guy laying in a ditch, beat up, and says, man, somebody needs to help that fellow. And so he goes and helps the fellow. You know the story. And so then Jesus asks God, now you tell me which one was his neighbor, right? So the point is, our neighbor is the people we come in contact with, right? It's the people around us. It's the people that we run into. It's the people that we see that may need some kind of help, and we have something we can do for them. Those are our neighbors, and we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves, just as much as we love ourselves. So that's such a cool thing to have those two stories this morning about people from our church, from the church of Christ, from the body going out, and showing love to the world, because that's what we're supposed to do. And the title of my message today is Love Not the World. What the heck? <laughs> right? So, this is just neat to me the way this has started out, because that's one of the things I definitely want to talk about. Our text this morning is going to mainly be centered on 1 John. Looking in 1 John, I'm looking at chapter 2, and these are verses 15 and 17 that I want to read to you. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Well, that almost seems like a contradiction to what we've been talking about this morning. And I want to point you also to James, the book of James, chapter 4, verse 4. James is a little more in your face with this. James says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, I've been thinking about this a lot thinking about just what we've already seen this morning. But we're commanded to go out and love our neighbors, love the people that we run into, people that we have contact with. We know that the Scripture tells us we're supposed to go show the love of Christ to a lost and dying world around us. Well, then what is John and James talking about here when they say, hey, don't love the world? So I want to kind of dig into that a little bit this morning. And we'll start, of course, with the definition of the words. That's always highly important. When I get a chance and I'm talking with teens and stuff, I'm always telling them, make sure you define your terms. It's so important in all kind of areas. Make sure you're defining your terms. When, when you're discussing something with somebody, and especially if you're in disagreement, make sure what they're talking about and what you're talking about are the same thing and that you all understand. And so let's make sure we kind of understand what's going on here. There's a word in the Greek that's translated into world, and the word is cosmos. Sounds very familiar to everybody I know. Spelled a little different in the Greek. They spelled it with a K, K-O-S-M-O-S, where we spell C-O-S-M-O-S, but that's where we get the word cosmos from. And that word in the Scripture is used a number of different ways. It can refer to some different things. The cosmos can kind of refer to, like, everything, like all of the universe, all of the stars and planets and everything. It can also refer to kind of everything except the earth. You know, it can, it can, you can use it kind of like, well, there's the earth and the cosmos, you know. It can refer to kind of the earth. It's used, just like it sounds world, it's used kind of sometimes as if earth. It's talking about earth. It can also refer to all of the inhabitants of the earth. That same word. But there's another way that it's used, especially here in the New Testament when we see it, that it's used kind of in contradiction to the church. A lot of talk, of course, in the New Testament about the body of Christ, the church, the true believers, the born-again Christians that have put their faith in Jesus Christ and they're serving Him and they're trying to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. The church. And then there's the world, the cosmos. We see that term used uh, in that way in, in several different places in the Scripture. So I've been thinking a lot about that. <clears throat> I think it's fair to say that there's two types of people in the world. Of course, we could break them down into a whole lot of different things, but I think there's two types of people in the world, and I think this is in line with what Scripture says. There are those people who are born-again believers, love Jesus, know the Lord, have a relationship with Him, 
have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, the true church of Christ, and then there's everyone else, the lost, dying world around us. So oftentimes in Scripture when that word world is used, that's kind of what it's talking about, at least it seems to me, that it's saying everyone other than the Christians, everyone other than the body of Christ. And I think it's reasonable to look at, the, look at it this way because Jesus said in Matthew that on the last day, we kind of refer to it a lot of times as day of judgment or judgment day, that all of mankind was going to be brought before him and they were going to be separated into two groups. The group on the right he calls the sheep and the group on the left that he calls the goats. And the sheep will be ushered into eternal life with the Father. What a glorious thing. The goats, however, are going to be cast into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Two possible outcomes. You know, Jesus talked about there being two paths. He said there's one that's hard. It's difficult, it's narrow, straight, and it's difficult. And that's the way that leads to life. But there's another path. It's wide. It's easy. A lot of people find that path. But that's the path that leads to death, that leads to destruction. All right? Two, two ways, two possible scenarios. Interesting thing to me is that when we talk about these two different groups of people, I believe that both of these groups have a mission. They've both been given a missive, you may say, have a job to do. Now, we know clearly that Christians, people that, are, that make up the body of Christ, we have a job. We've been told to go into the world and make disciples of all men, every nation, to go spread the gospel of Jesus Christ far and wide everywhere that we possibly can. So you, you might say that's at least one of our primary jobs, I guess, our number one job is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But our mission here in this life, you might say, is to spread the gospel of Christ. Now, that might mean living the life you're supposed to live so that when people see you, they see Christ in you. That might mean loving people around you, showing the love of Christ so that they see the love of Christ. It might mean preaching. It might mean going out on the street, handing out tracts, or looking for people to, to talk to and give you testimony and all those kind of things. It can mean a whole lot of different things. But that's like our, our job is to share Jesus with the world around us. So what about the world, the lost, the people that are not in group number one, everyone else? I think that there's a mission for those folks. Now, I don't think they typically see it this way. I was one of those folks for a long time, and I never considered myself to be on a mission. Certainly not this mission. If you'd have told me, I know your mission, I'd say, ah, that's not me. But I think it's, it's true. It's not just about the people, the individual people, but it's about this system. There's a, a system in the church of Christ that has to do with Jesus. It all revolves around Jesus. It revolves around God. It revolves around faith in Him and in His Word and in His commandments. He is the center of this system. And everything that that system produces 
should have something to do with God being at the center of it, and it should produce that kind of fruit. And in the same way, there's a system for the world, the world that I was a part of for a long time, an active participant, enjoyed myself doing these things. That system is anti-God, you might say. And that mission of that system is to try and distract you and everyone else from the truth that Jesus is the only way to get to the Father and to have eternal life. That's, that's the job of that system, of that group of people. And you might think, I'm being harsh. Maybe I am, but I think I'm telling you the truth. And as someone who was part of that for a long time, I can tell you that's what I was doing. I didn't look at it that way. I didn't wake up in the morning and say, man, I'm going to go lead as many people to hell as I can today. I never thought that. But that's exactly what I was doing. I was trying my best to show the world that God was a lie, that his word was a lie, that you didn't have to depend on him. You didn't have to be born again. You didn't have to be changed. You didn't have to depend on God. You could do your own thing and do just fine. You would be fine, right? So that's the world, all right? So that's the difference I'm talking about, two types or two groups of people, two systems that everybody fits into to one of these systems. Either the, the sheep, as Jesus put it, that love the Lord and are trying to serve him and please him and look good in his eyes. They want to be in his will, doing what he wants them to do. They want him to be looking down on them and saying, that's my servant right there, well pleased with that person. That's what they want, and they want to share that with the world. And the other side wants everything other than that, anything other than God, anything other than the true Lord and Savior. So I thought, well, if that's true, if there's these two systems, then what about the, the hook, right? So I thought, well, I think there's also two types of treasure. I think about treasure a lot because it, it's so struck me in the Bible in a couple of places where treasure is talked about. Jesus talked about it. And I think that there's two types of treasure. And again, I think there's one true, real, honest-to-goodness treasure, and then there's everything else. So you have this one true, real treasure, and then you have all these fake, counterfeit treasures. And one leads to life. And that's the treasure. The treasure's Jesus. That's the treasure. It's Jesus. It's not what he can do for you. As some people kind of preach, I, I hear some people preaching in some churches, and it, it sounds like they're saying Jesus is a means to an end. If you, if you know Jesus, and he's going to give you all the good stuff that you really want. No, no. He's the treasure. That's it. You get to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the treasure. And we see that in Scripture, I think. You know, Jesus talked about, he compared heaven 
to a man walking in a field and stumbling on a treasure, right? And he didn't give us much details. We don't know exactly what it looks like, so I like to take some liberties. hope that's okay. But I imagine this guy out walking in this field, and he stubs his toe. I remember reading a story as a kid about a guy who was literally out walking in a field and tripped on something. I wonder what it was. He was like a farmer. It was his field or something. He gets to looking. What is that? And he gets to digging around. And he winds up unearthing a chest or whatever it was full of gold. I mean, it was just incredible treasure, you know, that he just trips over walking out in the field. And whenever I read this story, I have this image in my mind of this guy walking through this field and kind of stubs his toe. What in the world is that? And he looks and he quickly realizes this is treasure right here. That's what this is. This is treasure. And he runs to sell everything he has to go and buy that field, right? And I imagine this guy thinking, man, if I sell everything, maybe, maybe it'll be enough money that I can go get this field. And so he gets rid of all of it, all of his possessions. And he takes the money and he goes and buys the field. And the scripture says he was overjoyed. He just got rid of everything he owned. And he's overjoyed because it was enough for him to buy the field and get the treasure. Then there's another story that we know about in Scripture where a rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He's talking to Jesus. He's face to face with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he asks him, good teacher, how do we get this eternal life? He's obviously heard talk of this. How do we get this eternal life? And y'all know the story. But Jesus kind of messes with him a little bit. You know, it's, oh, keep the commandments. Well, which commandments? You know, it goes through all that. And finally, Jesus says, there's one thing. If you would have eternal life, if you're serious about this, there's one thing. Go and sell all that you own and give it to the poor. The same scenario, right? You can have the treasure. It's standing right here in front of you. Just go sell all your stuff. Get rid of all your junk, all your worthless junk, and you can have the treasure. And the scripture says that man went away dejected. He couldn't part with his stuff. He couldn't do it, right? Missed out on the treasure. It was standing right there in front of him. Now, that's true treasure, but the problem is we don't always see the treasure. In fact, I would say we never see the treasure until God does something to us to open our eyes. You've heard the scripture talk about those people who have eyes but cannot see, have ears but cannot hear, have minds that cannot perceive and understand. That's, that's us. That's all of us. That's the way we're born. That's our fallen condition. We're blind. We're deaf. We can't see and understand until God does something for us and gives us the ability to see. It's a little tricky because the things we're supposed to focus on are invisible, you might say. They're unseen things. They're not the things right there in front of your face. I want to refer you to a couple of scripture here. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction 
Let me ask you. Let me stop right there. Any of you guys ever going through tough stuff in life and think, boy, this is a light momentary affliction? <laughs> Not me, man. I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. I can't believe it. I love that. Paul says this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That rich young ruler couldn't see it. Colossians 1, 15 through 16 says, he is the image, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. First Timothy 1.17 says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And then 1 Corinthians 2, 8 through 10, this is interesting, says, None of the rulers of this age understand this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So, there's this invisible, unseen treasure. That's true treasure. But you got to have the eyes to see it. You got to have the ears to hear about it. You got to have the mind to perceive and understand. That takes a miracle. That takes a supernatural act of God. Well, what about then the other treasure? The other systems, the world's treasure, because they got treasure, right? Now, it's not real treasure. It's fake treasure. It's counterfeit. It's phony treasure. But it sure looks good, right? This is what the world does. This is, this is kind of their purpose is to show you all of this wonderful treasure that can be yours, right? It's easy. You can have all of this great treasure. Think about all of the things. I mean, that, that verse that we started with in First John, it says, all of the things of the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, those things are not from the Father. I read that, I'm thinking, it sounds like everything. I mean, the things that I see and I lust after, the things that feel good to me that I lust after, the pride of life. Man, don't start talking to me about pride now. You're getting on my toes. I have struggled with pride as much as anybody I've ever known. I, that, that hits home, you know. I've, I've struggled with the, all the lust and all that stuff. I know what that's talking about. And here is the scripture saying all of those things, they are not from God. And when you start desiring those things and wanting those things and wanting to be friends with those things and that system and those people, 
you're making yourself an enemy of God. That's harsh. I mean, that's, that's tough. An enemy of God? Lord forbid. I do not want to be an enemy of God. So the world uses all of these things. They try to convince you that the things they have are good things. They're desirable things. These are things that are going to make you happy. These are things that are going to help you. It's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? Just like the rich, young ruler. I think about that a lot. That guy had it all, man. He was rich. He was young. He was a ruler. He had youth and health. He had money and power. That's the trifecta, right? That's what we're all going after, right? Here he is. But he was blind. He was blind. And he went away dejected. And as far as I know, Scripture doesn't follow up on that. As far as we know, that guy died and went to hell. You know? Gracious. So the world is trying to make us fall in love with it. Y'all ever been in a situation where somebody was trying their best to make you fall for them? <laughs> it's cool if you like them too, right? <laughs> but if not, it can be brutal, right? That can be really, really tough, like, I won't go into details, but I've been in through a few situations. I'm like, my goodness, you know, what do you do, right? That's what the world's doing. That's what the world's doing, trying its best to get you to fall in love with. Look at this. Oh, look at this. Oh, you like, where do you see this over here, right? That's the world. That's the world. And there's, they've always got stuff. There's always stuff, right? There's always something. You might even think, well, I'm, I'm poor. I don't have any money to buy stuff. Oh, they got stuff for you too. They got stuff for you too, right? And they're going to put it out there in front of you and try to make it look just as good as they can. And it's tempting. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks about temptation, about how the devil works, about how that temptation comes and how tough it can be. The thing is, we've got to be diligent. We've got to be vigilant. We've got to stay awake. This world is trying to lull us to sleep and to pull us away just a little bit, right? They don't come to you and say, turn your back on Jesus and come over here and follow Satan. They don't do that. They don't come up to you and say, why don't you bow down and worship Satan with us? They don't do that. They just want a little bit. They just want you to compromise just a little bit, right? You don't have to just completely turn your back, but can you just do this little bit of a thing? I'm going to tell you all a story. I, I said I wasn't going to tell you all this story, but I'm going to tell you. I got asked some years ago to, to officiate a wedding. It's the only time I've ever done that. Someone um, fairly close to me, someone I, I think a lot of, they, they were getting married and came to me. Now, this, this couple, I definitely would not call them Christian. I love them to death. They're nice people, and I like them, think a lot of them, but there's nothing Christian about you know, their, their 
life and all of that. And they don't really make any bones about it. They're not ugly or anything, but they just, it's not their thing, you know. So, but when they wanted to get married, they weren't attending a church or anywhere. They didn't know a pastor or anything, a preacher. And they asked me, and I'm not a pastor or anything like that, but they asked me if I would do their wedding. Well, I was honored. I thought, man, that's really awesome. I thought about it a lot. I'm like, is it okay for me to do this? And I thought, yeah, I think it'd be fine. And I thought, well, it's going to be some people at this wedding who are, don't go to church on Sundays, and they're not trying to follow the Lord, and they're not reading their Bible, so this could be a little opportunity. So I don't want to take advantage or do anything, you know, to, to mess up their service or anything, but I said, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to get it in there some kind of way, you know. And so I got this opportunity to go, and it was on the beach and that kind of stuff. Now, they had gotten married already. They had gone, like, to the courthouse and done their license and all that kind of stuff. So they were already married, so I wasn't having to do anything legally, right? They just asked me to do, do the, the service and stuff. And so I did. I did my best that I could to try and honor them and make it a special time for them. But I also did my best to slip some gospel in there, you know, every chance I got, right? And I got to pray over them, you know, and I, that was part of the deal. I said, you know, I, I want to pray for you guys. Oh, yeah, 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 sure, no problem at all. And so when I prayed, I made sure that the gospel got into that prayer, you know. So, um, well, here's the thing. I was doing a great job, right? Afterwards, they're having their reception, their party, whatever. It's on the beach. It's right there. And all the people, they're drinking, having a good old time, which is fine. I don't care. They got some music playing. You know, I'm walking around. Talking. I know I knew a number of the people there, and I'm walking around talking to people and that kind of thing. And it's, you know, perfectly fine. They're doing their thing, whatever. That's fine. That's fine. I was once part of that scene, man. I understand. And, you know, I did a lot of drinking back in my days. I know I've shared that with you guys before. That was a big thing for me, alcohol. Alcohol was my buddy, you know. I did a lot of drinking. And when I got saved, God delivered me from that. I don't know any other way to put it other than God delivered me from that. And I have no desire to drink. It doesn't, I don't think of it as tasting bad or anything like that. I don't consider it a sin to drink alcohol. I, I don't see it in the Bible. I don't see where it's a sin. I think Jesus drank wine, real wine. You know, I don't think it's a sin, but God just delivered that from me. And it's a miracle. If you had known me, it's miraculous that he just took the desire away from me. And it's no problem for me to be around it and not do it. It just doesn't bother me. But we're at this party, standing around, and several people that I knew pretty well were standing around talking, cutting up, laughing, and all that kind of stuff. And one of them is drinking a beer. And it's something I've never seen. i never heard of them. They're going, man, I've never, y'all ever heard of this beer? It's a so-and-so flavor. It's got something in it. This is crazy. You can taste it. And they're getting people to taste it. And they come to me and taste it. I'm like, I don't, I don't, no, you got to taste it. Taste it. I'm like, okay. So I take a quick sip, hand it back to them. I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. Didn't think too much more about it. Till a little later on, I overheard one of those lost people that I didn't know from Adam saying, I saw the preacher drinking a beer. <laughs> I thought, great. 
Way to go. Way to go. That's the way the world works, right? They didn't say, hey, man, come get rip-roaring drunk with us. Come on, we're going to do this. Let's take a sip. And again, I don't consider it a sin to taste a beer, to take a sip of beer. But I was there trying to share Jesus with lost people that have a certain idea about what a Christian is and what a Christian looks like. And whether they were right or wrong about those ideas, they had this image in their mind of what a Christian looks like and what a Christian ought to behave like. And they see me take one little sip of beer, right? And that says to them, I'm good. I'm over here getting slammed. I'm good because the preacher was drinking a beer, right? We got to be vigilant. We've got to be diligent. We've got to stay awake. And I'm not preaching against alcohol. I, that's not my thing, but I hope y'all understand the, the point I'm making. So there's all these things, right, that the world comes at us with and tries to get us to fall in love with, to, to distract us, you know. It's all kind of stuff, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. There's just all kind of stuff. One of the things that I hear a lot these days is, Love yourself. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you should hate yourself or anything like that. I think the most loving thing you can do for yourself and that you absolutely ought to do is to follow Jesus Christ. And there's kind of, I've thought about this before, there's a little bit of a almost, seems like almost a selfishness or self-centered kind of aspect to becoming a Christian. It's kind of like when you're on an airplane and they're telling you how to use the oxygen mask if something happens. And you're going, oh, I hope I don't ever see that oxygen mask. But they're telling you if something happens, this oxygen mask fall down. And what do they tell you? This is how you put it on. Make sure you get yours on first, and then you can help somebody else. But make sure you got yours on first. If you, if you take courses in, uh, like, how to be a lifeguard and how to help people, you know, that might be drowning, the first thing they teach you, they make sure you know how to swim well, and how to defend yourself against someone who's drowning if they're, they're, they're panicking, how to get away. You've got to have yourself in the right place before you can help these other people. And as a Christian, you've got to make sure, number one, that you're right with God. That's important. Paul says, examine yourselves. And he's not talking about one time. Examine yourselves. Keep on examining yourself and make sure your relationship is right with the Lord. That's my definition of loving yourself, man. Make sure your life is straight with God and that your heart is right with God. And then you can love other people. Then you can do something meaningful for the, the other people. But that's not the way we hear it a lot of times, right? The world loves to say, man, you're so awesome. Woo. You ought to treat yourself. You ought to do something nice for yourself, right? Yeah. You know? You deserve it. You deserve it. You're such a fine person. You deserve it. There's churches out there, y'all, that they, they make their living on this kind of message. Man, God's so crazy about you just like you are. You're just a wonderful person. And he's just up there just wishing you would just give him a little more of yourself, you know, and this kind of thing. And talking about how awesome you are as a person. And I guess sometimes there's a place for some of that. I'm not trying to just put it all down. But we got to be careful. 
me that kind of thing. One of the reasons I say that is because of what I see in the Scripture. I want to point you first to 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5. This is Paul writing to Timothy. And if you read these two letters, he wrote two letters to Timothy that we have in the Scripture. He spends a lot of time warning Timothy. He's encouraging Timothy. He's telling him, man, you keep fighting the good fight. You know, keep learning, keep studying, keep getting better and better and growing in your relationship with the Lord. But he also spends a lot of time warning him. Be careful about this and this and this. Don't get into this. Be careful about these people. And he, he spends a good bit of time talking about certain people. Be wary of these people. And Paul says this to him in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days... There will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Man, does any of that sound familiar to any of you guys? Ah, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power avoid such people now man do we see that kind of stuff around us all the time i mean you could go on facebook or instagram whatever social media you want you could see all of this stuff in about 30 seconds right but i think paul was really talking about inside the church i think that's what he was really warning timothy about was this stuff is going to come up inside the church and man you can see that too uh, there's churches that this is it's almost like this is their strategy you know hey let's give them this and and they'll love it they'll come here and and, and it works and paul's telling timothy avoid those people these are dangerous people right Luke 9, verse 23, this is Jesus talking here. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him love himself. Let him cherish himself. Let him dote on himself. No, he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny yourself. Here's Paul again in Galatians 6, 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Y'all ever gone into the bookstore and seen they have an entire self-help section, right? To tell you how to be a better you. You know, now I'm not saying those things don't have value. I've read a lot of those kind of books, and some of those things, you know, you can learn a lot from. I've got some good stuff in there. But, man, this idea that's so prevalent in our society that you are the center of your universe, and you need to just be the best you, and you do all of these things. And, and branding, you know, people talk about their brand. You are your own brand, and you got to get it out there, and you got to do all this stuff. Sounds a lot like sowing to your own flesh to me, right? And all I'm saying is we got to be careful about this stuff. 
is that the world is out there, and they're going to find a way to appeal to you. You know, there's a lot of things that I can look around and say, man, what's wrong with those people doing that? That's crazy. But then they get me, and there's stuff that I look at, ooh, that is kind of cool right there, you know. I like that, and that feels good, you know. They're going to find something that appeals to you. We've got to be careful and be diligent. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And here's Jesus again in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. We've, we've already kind of talked about the treasure, right? Here's Jesus. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You ever met anybody who's like, the only thing they could talk about was Jesus? You know, you can't get through a conversation with them without them bringing up God, bringing up Jesus, bringing up the Bible, talking about how good God's been to him, this incredible thing God did, and what a wonderful Lord he is, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I hate to tell you, there's been plenty of times when people spend a few minutes talking to me and they think, boy, that boy right there loves him some college football. Right, that boy right there loves the Gamecocks, or whatever. Right, I'm not saying we can't enjoy those things. We can't talk about those things. I do enjoy college football a lot, and I'm a Gamecock fan. Lord bless me. But where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus once said, "Out of the." fullness of the heart the mouth speaks so i would encourage you as i as i encourage myself to listen to the words that come out of your mouth and to think about the things that you say to think about the conversations that you have and the way that goes and and what you say what you contribute to that conversation because according to jesus that's coming out of what's in your heart I heard my sister say one time, I thought this was pretty good. She said, the Bible says that out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the next time you hit your finger with a hammer, you'll find out what's in your heart. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid so. Uh, I'm just saying we got to be careful. we got to be careful. So if that scripture that we started with, is true that we should not love the world then that saying to love the world is sin seems a kind of odd thing to say to christian people like that love can be a sin right but i think that's exactly right i think it can be um how do we know the difference 
How do we know when our love is sin and when it's not? I think to put it really simply, if our love, for whatever it is, if our love does not magnify the Lord, this problem. Whatever our love is for, I'm not saying you can't love other things like football or whatever. But if your love for that thing does not in some way magnify the Lord, I think there's a problem. I think we got to be careful. we got to be vigilant. we got to look for those things and root them out. I was thinking about how there are so many things out there that, that are just worthy of, of being awed by, you know. I was thinking about, like, the sun, for instance. Y'all know me. I kind of like astronomy and that kind of stuff. And I'm just blown away by the cosmos, to use that word. Blown away by, I love to go out at night and see the stars and the planets and all of that kind of stuff and to read about them and look at the pictures that come back from the James Webb Space Telescope and all that kind of stuff. It's just unreal. That kind of stuff just blows me away. I was thinking about the sun. Now, how can you not be awed by the sun, especially in August in South Carolina, right? Y'all know that the sun is approximately 93 million miles away. 93 million miles away. Go stand outside. Not yet. You're not dismissed yet. Give me just another minute. But whenever we get through, walk out there in the parking lot and stand there for a minute and think about it. I think it's supposed to hit 97 today. The heat index is like 115 or something ridiculous like that. All of that that you feel is coming from the sun. 100% that's from the sun. That incredible heat is from the sun. And it's 93 million miles away. That's awesome, right? What's the closest, the furthest you've ever been from a fire that you could still feel the heat from it? I can remember going to like some of the pep rallies they'd have at the university and they have this big fire, huge fire. And I'd be 100 yards or so from it. Couldn't feel it at all. A huge fire. I remember being at a concert one time. I think it was maybe Trans-Siberian Orchestra, their Christmas thing that they do. And, you know, there's a bunch of lights and lasers and all this stuff. It's pretty cool. And they have pyrotechnics. And we were all the way across the arena. We're kind of in front of the stage, but all the way in the balcony, all the way on the other side. Some of them cheaper seats. And some of the pyrotechnics went off. And you could feel it. I was like, wow, man, you could feel actually some of that heat got to you. I thought, man, that's some hot fire. But it wasn't 93 million miles away. That's incredible. And then you think about this, that here's the sun, the big old sun in comparison to the earth. You know, the, the earth, I think, volume-wise, the sun is something like 1.3 million times the size of the earth. In other words, you could like fit like 1.3 million earths inside the sun. So it's a lot bigger than the earth. Here's the big old sun. Here's the earth way over here. All of this energy is coming off of the sun in every direction, right? All of the time. This incredible energy. We're just getting one teeny, itsy little bit of it. In fact, we get about one 
billionth of the energy that's coming off the sun hits the earth. About one, one billionth of that energy reaches the earth. That's incredible. All of the solar power that we use, all of the heat that we feel when you go outside and the asphalt's hot and your house is hot and your car is hot, all of that stuff, that's coming from one, one billionth of the energy that the sun is releasing. How can you not be impressed with that? How can you not be awed by that? That's jaw-dropping. And furthermore, you ever seen a sunset or a sunrise? Man, I love a sunrise. Just love them. There's just nothing like watching that sun. The dark starts to get a little lighter in the colors and all that. It's incredible. How can you not be blown away by that? Sit at the beach or up in the mountains or somewhere like that with a great view and watch that sun set or come up. It's incredible. It's beautiful. It only makes sense to be awed by that. And I'd say in one sense, it only makes sense to love that, to see that sunset. Man, I love that. God, look, that's so cool. That's beautiful, right? But here's the problem. Some people worship the sun, right? All way back in history, as far back as we can see, we see examples of people worshiping the sun, treating it like a god, worshiping the moon, worshiping the stars, Worshipping the planets, right? That's a problem, right? So, what's kind of the difference? I think it's kind of like this. I like to read. I like books. I've done a lot of reading in my life, and I enjoy doing it. Can you imagine if you ran into somebody, and you're kind of talking, and something comes up about books, and they go, oh, man, let me tell you about my favorite book. I love this book. And they're telling you about it. It's so awesome. I read this book dozens of times, man. I got three or four copies. I keep a copy at work. I got a copy at home. I keep a copy in my car. I just love this book just changed my life. I love it. I read it and reread it. Everybody ought to read this book. It's awesome. Wow. So what's your first question going to be? Who wrote that book, right? So you ask them, well, who wrote it? And they go, what? Who, who wrote the book? talking about who wrote it you don't know who wrote the book no I don't know I don't care who wrote the book I love the book the book's awesome that's what I like I like the book wouldn't you think this person's out of their mind how can you love a book like that and you don't even care who wrote it what if you hear a cool song somewhere like music's been a big part of my life a long time man you ever been like a movie or something, you hear a song that you never heard? That is so cool. Or you hear somebody listening, man, that is so cool. What do you do? Try to find out, who's that, right? Who wrote that song? Who performed that song? Who produced that song? Who did that? They might have some more stuff that I like, right? Wouldn't it be weird if somebody said, man, this is my favorite song. I love this song. Let's do it all the time. Who, who did it? I don't know. Why do I care who did the song? The song's cool. That's what I like, right? That's crazy. You see a beautiful painting, and you think, man, that's the prettiest painting I've ever seen. Oh, man, I like that. Who did that? Who painted that? Right? That makes sense. So how do you look at a beautiful sunset or a beautiful sunrise or go out at night and see all those stars up in the sky and those planets and galaxies and that beautiful moon 
and not think, who's responsible for that? I want to know the person who did this. I want to know who produced this. And if you tell me there's a way that you can know the person who's responsible for all of this beautiful, all this incredible stuff, man, I want to know. Not the world. Not the world. They don't want to know. And they don't want you to know. And they don't mind if you enjoy a sunset. And they don't mind if you enjoy astronomy. They don't mind if you love looking at the moon. They don't mind if you love looking at beautiful landscapes, mountain views, and all that stuff. They don't mind. As long as you're not saying that the author of this thing is God. And he is awesome. He is incredible. We ought to be worshiping this God. This God that created this sun and this earth and this universe, we ought to be worshiping him. As long as you don't say that, they're fine with it. We got to be careful. We got to be diligent. We got to be vigilant. We got to stay awake. I want to leave you with words again from Jesus from Revelation. This is from chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And this is Jesus talking. And he's, this is where he's going through. And he talks, he addresses the seven churches, right? And this one in particular is Smyrna. And um, he kind of tears some of them up pretty good, right? But Smyrna, he wasn't too rough on them. He must have had good things to say to them. Didn't have too much to say to them. But I thought this was particularly poignant. Jesus says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. That's kind of cool, right? I know how poor you are, you rich rascal, you, right? That's kind of cool. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. I don't think it gets any more serious than that. To hear our Lord and Savior say, whatever happens to you, whatever they do to you, be faithful to me unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. Hallelujah. What a cool thing. What an awesome God we serve. I'm going to close this in prayer, and then I'll, uh, we'll, we'll end with a song really quickly. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your love and your mercy and your grace, Lord. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you that you've given us your word to go by, your word that we can learn from. Thank you for the folks here at Capital City, Lord, thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ. We can get together and we can talk about you and talk about your goodness and to hopefully grow from it, Lord, and, and grow in our knowledge of you and our relationship with you, Father. That's what we want. That's our heart, Lord. We want to know you better. We want to serve you better. And, Lord, we just ask you to, to have control, Lord. We give you control over our lives. It's all yours anyway. It all belongs to you. It's all for you, Father. We want to be those 
good and pleasing servants to you. We want you to be pleased when you see our lives, when you see the way we live. We want you to be pleased with it. And so, Father, we ask you to help us, Lord. Help us be the people that you've called us to be. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.